our New Testament responsive reading, or is a responsive reading, and that comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. He went to be registered with Mary, his betrothed who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that shall be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together and ask the Father to teach us. Our Father, we bow before you once again, a congregation of your priests, not just a minister who's a priest, not just elders or deacons who are priests, but Father, a whole congregation. That's what you call your people in the New Testament, a congregation of priests. We've been out in the world this week striving to be salt and light, striving to spread the news of Christ, to spread your word in our neighborhoods, in our work, in our leisure, in our homes. And then we've assembled here this morning to bring that neighborhood and to bring our families, bring the people around us before you as your priests. Our Father, we must spend some time saying thank you. We have been praying for John Albritton, Father, for weeks now. And we thank you for the healing that you've brought about. And we pray that you'll continue to heal him, take away the pain, Keep him from any complications. We thank you for how you blessed John Rowan after that successful surgery. Thank you for keeping him from complications. We pray that you will bring a complete healing. We pray for Joan Schaefer. That father, as the doctors continue to analyze and look and test, We pray that they'll know exactly what to do. Give them a keen interest 
in her and in this illness. We pray for David Mattingly, Father. We thank you for his faithfulness week after week after week. We pray that you would continue to make him stronger. Father, we pray that you would give him many years yet upon this earth. Our Father, bless Eileen Wood this morning. We pray again that, that you would give the doctors insight to exactly what the cause of this malady is. We pray for Phil and Sally Halley. We pray that you would continue. Well, Father, it's remarkable what you've done in his life in restoring health. It's truly remarkable. And we pray that we won't miss that. But we pray, Father, that you'll continue to bring healing. We pray for Molly Francis this morning, Father. Bring healing to her. Save her from this cancer. We pray, Father, for Brian Karen Hansen. We thank you for how week after week you bless us with Brian and his ministry. We miss him this morning. But, Father, we pray that you would bring healing to him, to Karen, and their family. And now we open your word. And once more, we know, Father, that John Sartell cannot teach us so that it will make any, day, any difference in our lives. He doesn't have that power. No man who stands behind this desk has that power. And so we pray that you would teach us. Oh, Father, give us ears to hear you this morning. We're your children. We're sinners, yes. More than we know, you know. But, Father, give us ears to hear you this morning. We can't come saying, oh, Father, teach us because we're good. We're not. But teach us because we're your children. Tell us the story. We've heard this story before, Father, but tell us, tell us again. In greater depth, expand our vision. We pray when we leave here in a few minutes that we will know that we have heard you speak for the glory of Jesus Christ we pray amen have you finished the story please take your bulletin and read the text with me aloud. It's printed right below the title of the message. Read it with me. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It is usually important to finish stories We read the first of the story earlier. We love the beginning of that story, the story of Jesus. Most of us knew the words we read by heart. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus 
that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. We all resonate with those words. We remember them from childhood. What a great story. They lived in Nazareth. How could this baby, who was supposed to be the Messiah, the angel said that he would be the Messiah, how would he be born in Bethlehem as the prophets had foretold? Had the prophets been wrong? Mary and Joseph lived in Nazareth. Why, why would Mary and Joseph travel in the last days, making this difficult journey in the last days of her pregnancy? What on earth would take them to Bethlehem? You know the answer. In faraway Rome, God is weaving his plan. Augustus Caesar decides it's time to take a census of his entire empire. He's ordered everyone to go back to the towns where they were born, their ancestral homes. So God used a pagan emperor to take Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem so every detail of the prophecy about the Messiah would be fulfilled. And what a good story. In verse 7 we read, And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. The baby was born in a barn. Some kind of animal shed, probably attached to the inn. His first bed. Remember what the angel told the shepherds? You'll find the baby. It's not the swaddling clothes. Those were common. Lying in a manger. Lying in an animal feed trough. That's where you'll find the baby. This story is so beautiful. Most of us have manger scenes in our homes. In those manger scenes, you have a building or some lean-to or shed of some sort representing the barn or stable. They're the carved or molded figures. There's the animals, the sheep, donkeys, cows. Then there are the figures that represent Mary and Joseph. There's a, usually a manger there. The animal feed trough or straw in it. And off to the sides, there's shepherds kneeling with their shepherd staffs. You know, think about those manger scenes. Some of them are just a few dollars. Some of them are hundreds and thousands of dollars. You know, there's some things that business does like about the birth of Christ, isn't there? 
But in families, we spend sometimes years, generations, building those manger scenes. Everyone loves the story of the birth of Jesus. Now, some stories don't have that kind of beginning. Some stories commence with a terrible, terrible darkness. Philip Yancey, a Christian author, likes to tell and write stories. Sometimes they're fiction. Sometimes they're true. This one happens to be true. The beginning of the story was so sad, I did not want to finish it. I wanted to close the book and quit. The beginning was just dark. A young girl grows up, side, out, grows up outside of a small town. town is Traverse City, Michigan. Like most teenagers, she is seeing how far she can press the line with her parents. She shortens her skirts just a little bit. She chooses music that she knows her parents doesn't, that they do not like. And then she argues, if she chooses the music, then she argues with them about it. And finally, she begins to wear a nose ring. Her home becomes a battleground between her and her parents. One night, she screams into their faces, I hate you. I hate you. And she locks herself in her room. In the middle of the night, she decides to carry out a dream that she's had frequently for the last few months. She runs away. But instead of going to Southern California, or instead of going to Florida, she, she chooses Detroit, Michigan. Her second day there, she meets a man with the biggest car she'd ever seen. He becomes her friend. She rides in his car. He takes her to nicer restaurants than her parents ever did. He puts her in a nice room in a hotel and gives her pills that make her feel really wonderful. She decides that she was right all along. Her parents had been keeping her from all this fun, all this freedom. This good life continues for several months. And those months stretch into a year. The man, she calls him boss, teaches her a different morality. This new way of life was immoral indeed, but there were great benefits. It paid well. One day she sees a picture on a milk carton. It's a picture of her with a sign. Have you seen this job? She looks nothing like that now, even though it has not even been a year. Her hair is now blonde. 
with all the makeup and jewelry. No one would recognize her. She just laughed at the picture. After a year, boss turns mean. There's no more penthouse, no more room service. She's in the street, providing for herself any way she knows how. Her complexion is pale, chalky. Life is hard. The streets are cold, cold physically and even colder socially. Dark patches develop underneath her eyes, and she's become a teenager that looks like she's 40-something. That's a sad, sad story, isn't it? And you're saying, I know what you're thinking right now, because I was saying to myself by this time, you can't possibly say this, John, on Christmas Eve. It's just not right. You're saying, John, it's Christmas Eve. I'm here with my family. Don't finish that story. You're saying, I already know how it ends. That story is too sad. John, let's put it down. Let's go back to the crash. Let's go back to the cradle, to that birth in Bethlehem. Let's go back to that story. Okay, let's do that. But we will go to the end of the story. Let's finish the story of the baby born in Bethlehem. It's years later. The baby has become a man. The good news is that he's a great healer. The world, in the history of the world, no one had ever seen anything like this. By fiat, he could just command and the blind would see. He would command and the deaf would hear. He would speak and the paralyzed would walk. He changed the lives of the blind and paralyzed, the deaf and the lepers. The leper, the outcast that had lived in isolation could now go back home. But that wasn't, he just wasn't a healer. He was a great teacher. They came to hear him, not by the hundreds, but by the thousands. He claimed to be. He stood before them, and they didn't say, you're the Messiah. He claimed to be the Messiah of all of Israel. And not only that, he claimed to be one with God. And not only that, in case they thought that was figurative speaking, he claimed deity. Now, this offended the intellectuals. It offended the political and religious leaders. And now, in this part of the story, in this part of his story, he's being executed. He's to be executed outside of the city that he loved, right outside of Jerusalem. He's beaten. He's whipped. Forced to carry his own cross to the hill where the crucifixions took place. He's cruelly nailed to those crossbeams. There are no shepherds here. 
There are no angels here. There are some men teasing and making fun of him. Their spittle is all over his face and body. There is one person who's there at that hill where he's crucified who was actually in the stable where he was born. Mary, his mother, is there. Her heart is broken. She's crying. She's watching her son die as a criminal. She's watching him suffer an excruciating death. No wonder people do not want to finish the story. This story about Jesus. The first part is wonderful. It's Christmas. And even the world, even the world responds. It's so beautiful that we have models of it on our mantles. All over the house. I went through the house this morning. I think there were, Terry, I think there were three manger scenes in, in our house. But you know what? There's not one crucifixion scene. Did you ever think about that? Even at Easter, we don't get out a model of the crucifixion and put it on the mantle or on the table. The scene at the crash, yes. The scene at the cross, no, no. However, what was it that Paul said that we read this morning? But God shows his love for us in that. How does he show his love for us? That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That scene. Paul is saying, that scene at the cross is the greatest demonstration of love in the history of the world. Not, not at the manger, at that cross. He was saying, if you want to see the love of God at his greatest, if you want to see how much God loves you, you must go to the crucifixion. You must go to the cross. You must finish a story. You must go to that awful thing that happened on that hill outside of Jerusalem. He did not say that we see the love of God at its height at the birth of Jesus, at Bethlehem, or at the manger. Folks, that's amazing. He chooses the most gruesome part of the story. And said, that's what best illustrates the love of God. How can that be? How can that be? Well, while we wonder at that, let's go back. Let's go back to our lost little girl on the streets of Detroit. Let's finish that story. The story that began so terribly. One night she hears some footsteps 
She's awake immediately. The streets are a dangerous place to be. Suddenly, she no longer feels like a woman of the world. She feels like a little girl lost in a big city. She feels like a child that's cold and hungry. She needs a fix for sure. She pulls her legs up under her and tries to get her body under the newspapers that she has piled over her to keep warm. She thinks back to what May is like in Traverse City. The chair blossoms would be everywhere. She, re she remembers running with her golden retriever through the rows of trees in her family's orchard. She thinks about that dog. And like the prodigal of old, the thought suddenly hit her. You know, my dog at home eats better than I'm eating right now. And she's sobbing. More than anything else, she wants to go home. She finds the courage to make three phone calls. But each time she gets the answering machine. Now, some of you don't know what answering machines are. Just, just ask your parents or grandparents and think voicemail, okay? The first two times, she left no message. The third time, she leaves a message. Dad, Mom, it's me. I was wondering about maybe coming home. I'm catching a bus up your way. And it'll be there about midnight tomorrow. If you're not there, well, I guess I'll stay on the bus till it gets to Canada. She gets on the bus. It takes seven hours for the bus to go from Detroit to Traverse City with all the stops between. And during that time, she has, she has the time to realize all the flaws in her plan. What if her parents are out of town and miss the message? Or maybe they need time to recover from the shock of hearing from her. And maybe they don't want me to come home. She thinks about what she will say to her father if he comes. Dad, I'm sorry. I know I was wrong. It's not your fault. It's all mine. Can you forgive me? Finally, the bus pulls into the station at Traverse City. The driver announces over the speaker system, 15 minutes, folks. That's all we have here. She's nervous. She feels like the rest of her life hangs in the balance in the next 15 minutes. She walks into the station, and she could not have dreamed in her wildest imagination what she sees. I love the way that Yancey described the scene. And so I'll simply read what he said. There in the concrete walls and plastic chairs, bus terminal in Traverse City, Michigan, stands a group of 40 brothers and sisters, great aunts and uncles and cousins, and a grandmother and great-grandmother. They're all wearing goofy party hats and blowing noisemakers. And taped across the entire wall of the terminal is a computerized, generated banner that reads, 
welcome home. Out of the crowd breaks her father. Streams are tearing down, damp stream down his cheeks, down her cheeks. She begins her speech, Dad, I'm so sorry. But those are the only words that she gets out. He interrupts. Hush, child. We've got no time for that. You will be late for the party. There's a huge banquet, a party waiting for you at home. Now, aren't you glad we finished that story? The end is better than the beginning. Why did I tell you that true story? Because I want you to know that the ending of the Jesus story is better than the beginning too. Some of you, many of you, have a cross around your neck this morning. You don't have a necklace with a manger on it. You have a necklace with a cross. A cross that's a symbol of an execution. Why do you wear it this morning? Because it is the best part of the story. That is how you are saved. Let me say it again. Are you saved? It's the most important question I can ask you. I don't care who you are this morning. Young, old, the most important question I can ask you. Are you saved? It's not a more important question. You see, what we, we did to our God what that girl did to her father. We rebelled against him. We ran away from him. We said, this is my life, and I want to live it as I want to live. God, you can't tell me what to do. We're not in this church. We didn't come to this church saying, I'm here because I'm a good person. When we joined Christ's Covenant Church, or when you joined the church for the first time, the first thing you said to the Father is, I am a sinner. And we live for self, we live for pleasure, we lived, we breathed, we ate, we slept in our sin. And while we were living like that, shaking our fists in his face, while we were in the midst of rebelling against him, he sent his son to die. For all the sin that we were committing against him. If we ever came home. Someone had to pay for the crimes we had committed. He's just. He's holy. We said it this morning. This is not a God with whom you trifle. He has sworn to punish every lie. Every selfishness. Every adultery. Every lust. Every hate. Every slander. Every piece of gossip. God does not wink at sin. And when that sin fell on his son, God didn't wink about it. He poured all hell out on him. Someone had to pay. And while we were actually doing those sins, when we had no thought of going home, his son came to pay the price. And he didn't pay the price in the cradle. He paid the price on the cross. 
for the girl in Traverse City to come home. It didn't cost her father anything. For us to come, the father had to send his own son to hell for our sins. That is why as we celebrate the beginning of the story, as we celebrate the manger and the shepherds and the word becoming flesh, and we should do that. I'm not saying don't party. This is the incarnation. It's the greatest event that had happened in the world since creation. Oh, yes, celebrate. But we also come here to remember the rest of the story, the end of the story. There it is before us this morning. This is the broken body of Jesus, broken for our sins. This is the blood of Jesus shed for our sins. And it's the best part of the story. Because there on that cross, on that awful hill of crucifixion, the greatest victory, the greatest battle, and the greatest victory that has ever been fought in the history of the world was won. And it was won by Jesus. And it was won for, it was won for his people. There's an old gospel song. I've not sung it for years. I sat and sang it office yesterday and I didn't tape it and never will <laughs> last time I sung I sang that hymn was in the church where I learned it in a country Presbyterian church in Drapers Valley Virginia the title of it is the way of the cross leads home it begins I must needs go home by the way of the cross no other way but this and then the course begins the way of the cross leads home the scene in the bus station is quite biblical she came home to the cheers of her family not to the admonition but to the cheers she came home to a party she came home to a celebration this is your assignment today read Luke 15 Read Luke 15. Jesus mentions in three different parables about the celebrations, about the parties in glory that happen when the sinner comes home, when the sinner repents. He has firsthand experience of that. He's been there. If I'd ask you coming into church this morning, this Christmas Eve, if I would have asked you, what are we doing here on this eve of Christmas? You would have said something like, well, John, we're celebrating the birth of Jesus. We're celebrating the incarnation. We could call it the feast of the incarnation. That's what we ought to. And folks, there should be a feast the, as I said, the incarnation was the greatest event since creation. But we are also celebrating our salvation. Do you understand that? We're not only celebrating the incarnation, we're celebrating our salvation. It's the greatest salvation that has happened in the history of mankind. If you stop at the end of the birth accounts, you'll miss the entire point of his coming. His name was Jesus. 
When the angel say you shall call his name Jesus. Why? Because he'll save his people from their sins. The word Jesus means Savior. Dear people, we're not only celebrating his birth. We're celebrating his birth. We're celebrating his death. We're celebrating his resurrection. We're celebrating our salvation. What a party. There are two groups of people in this room this morning. Only two groups. There are those who were like that little girl in Detroit, lost, far away from home. Like her, they came home. They came home by way of the cross, by way of the broken body and shed blood of Christ. Those folks in this room this morning that have come home like that, they cannot celebrate the cradle without remembering the cross. Because the way of the cross is the way they came home. The second group in this congregation this morning is made up by those who are lost. Just like that little girl in Detroit. You're still lost. I want to speak to you. I want to remind you this morning. First. God in heaven gave you life. He gave you everything you've had up to this very hour. Even though you've tried to get, forget him, even though you've ignored him, ridiculed him by striving to be autonomous, by striving to be self-made, he's still there. I want to remind you of that. Secondly, I want to tell you, the birth of Christ, for some reason, interests you. You wouldn't be here this morning. I want to tell you, finish the story. For your sake, finish the story. You know the part about Bethlehem and Mary and Joseph and the baby in the manger. The angels and the shepherds. That's a wonderful part of the story. But it's not the best part. Finish the story. Thirdly, I want to tell you, the way of his cross is the only way home. There's no other way home. You have experienced Christmases, but you're still not saved. Make this Christmas different. Kneel before that cross. Lost. Kneel as a lost and broken sinner. Come home. And I'll tell you this. Your feast as you never have before. You will revel in Jesus Christ. Now let's go back and read the text again. And we're done. But this time, I want us to substitute the pronouns. I and me for us. Wherever you say, wherever, wherever you see us. Just read it as either I or me. Read it with me. But God demonstrates his love for me in this. While I was still a sinner, Christ died 